Welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Tyler Orton. I'm Haley Wooden. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. And joining us today is our colleague, Patrick Blennerhassa. Patrick, thanks for joining us on the program once again. Thanks for having me, guys. So, Patrick, you are writing about the totally non-controversial A-OK, nobody has any issues at all with the viaducts here in downtown Vancouver, Oh, yeah, no no issues whatsoever. I don't even know where to start with it. Well, let's start from the beginning. Let's start in the 1960s and the 70s. Yeah. Uh, How did these viaducts come to be, and how did we get to where we are right now, where it's going to cost $200 million to remove these bad boys? Yeah, so the original vision way back in the 60s was to run a freeway into downtown Vancouver, And so the government started doing this and they built the Granville Street Bridge, which is kind of the causeway down south. And they built the viaducts. And then basically you had a whole bunch of local communities rise up against the rest of this, building the actual freeway that would connect the viaducts into downtown. Uh, The Chinese community was sort of big against it because it would basically run right through Chinatown. And there were that it would turn it into a ghetto. So, um, like we did destroy Hogan's Alley. And we did, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. basically. Um, so what happened was the, the protesters pretty much won and the federal government caved and they didn't build the freeway, but the viaducts got built. So there's kind of this relic of the past of this idea of having this freeway kind of like Seattle's I-5, which kind of goes up and over and right through downtown. And you which can, I can say is an absolute monstrosity. Yes. And yeah. It, oh, yeah. I think it's horrible for transportation yeah. and livability. Yeah. And uh, Seattle has perhaps some of the worst traffic I've ever experienced. And I, tell I, us how you really feel. Well, no, I, like I, 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 I grew up down in Seattle and yeah, I can yeah. tell you, and this is 20 years ago, I can tell you from experience. I mean, it was awful. Every time I go down and visit, I was just like, oh, it's even worse than I remember. Yeah. So it's a big distinction between Seattle and Vancouver that there is not a freeway cutting right through the city. Yeah. And so as everybody knows, they're going to remove these two viaducts and it's 2.6 kilometers and they both weigh 67,800 tons. And if you were to sort of stack them up, they'd be taller than Grouse Mountain. So these things are quite long. They're actually big and they're huge. I don't know. They, I think they weigh like something like, I'm trying to think. I don't have the number uh, in front of me, but they, they weigh an incredible amount as well. So taking them apart is going to be a huge uh, deal. And I, I think basically the, the one thing that people are kind of missing, I, I was listening to Devin Fitch. He's the manager of project delivery for engineering services at the city of Vancouver. And he was recently speaking at the engineering conference. And he said restitching this network after they take the viaducts down is probably going to be just as difficult because this area was built with the freeway in mind. So it was sort of originally planned that the freeway would kind of run right through there, right through to Yale Town to the Granville Bridge. So if you've ever driven down around Pacific Boulevard in that area, it's kind of a mess. Like yes. it's just lots of one ways and turns. <laughs> and Even riding my bike, if I'm not on the seawall, even riding my bike around that area, it's kind of confusing. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, am I going to get hit by a car? Am I not going <laughs> to see this light that's in front of me? Yeah. yeah I, I hate driving there. I hate riding my bike around that area as well yeah so it the other thing that they have to do is that once they take the vi uh, take the viaducts down which is gonna like you said 200 million dollars then they're gonna try to restitch this entire area and build an entirely new community um the good thing is that they're gonna have 30 plus acres of parkland there and it's not just gonna be a whole bunch of high rises so 
that whole area where those parking lots are when you come in just before uh, Rogers Arena, that's all going to become parkland. Mm. Well, mostly become parkland. And they're going to have sort of mini viaducts that are going to run through there. And they're going to sort of restitch those sort of causeways into Pacific Boulevard and sort of Georgia Street and then kind of somehow disperse them through downtown. So I think the interesting thing is that the traffic on the traffic flow in the viaducts has been going down for like the past decade. And that's kind of made the business case for this is to get these massive things out of there because just less people are driving on them. So uh, just uh, don't tell that to say uh, the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. Uh, our, yeah. <laughs> uh, a guest on the show, Ian Black, the CEO there. He's very public about the fact that, uh, you know, we, we need more roads going through uh, downtown. We need, uh, you know, none of these uh, bike lanes and everything going through downtown, which, uh, you know, I, I understand where he's coming from, from like a central business district sort of. Yeah, point, yeah but. Yeah. Uh, there's still debate about whether that that really lines up with the ultimate goals of you know the, the city. Well, and you you have to think about what type of down downtown core that you want to build or build. If you want to have a, a downtown core that you can drive through, you just build a highway through it and then have a bunch of interchanges that get off to, at certain areas. If you want to have a downtown core, like say in Europe, where it's more walkable, more bikeable, um, you need to do what. Vancouver is doing is they're taking the viaducts out and they want to build an actual streetcar network around sort of that area, sort of Yale Town, Marina side. That would kind of be this self-contained unit and move people around that area. So I think it's a question of, you know, yeah, it would be nice to have a freeway that runs through there, but that never happened and was never going to happen and isn't going to happen now. So time to bite the bullet and go European, which I think is great because having been to a bunch of European countries, I love the ability to sort of uh, get from the airport. You get on the airport, like let's say you're in Munich in Germany. You get off the airport, you get on the tram, you get on the train there, and you take it right into downtown, and you can walk pretty much everywhere. Or you can get on a little street trolley or something like that. You don't have to drive. You don't have to get into your car. So I think this is a good idea. And I think businesses, yeah, they want to – they want to whine and moan a little bit and maybe we should just let them. <laughs> Sorry not to call out Mr. Black there, wow, but wow. Uh, so I want to know a former guest on the show. Former Patrick. friend of the show. Is he a friend of the show? Friend of the show too. Friend of the show, yeah. yeah. Uh, between taking this apart and putting it back together, how many years are we looking at? That's the thing that they're uh, I asked the city a bunch of questions by email and they were pretty good at giving me information back, but I think that's the one thing that they don't know. Because this is an odd thing to do and it's not something that's been commonly done. So they have to basically, they cut them up and then they take them down and then they ship them off and then they have to get rid of them. And I think it's something like 26,500 cubic meters of concrete. <laughs> so that it was, I put this in the story, the equivalent of 10 Olympic sized swimming pools of concrete are going to get taken down. That's a lot. So they're... I, and I understand I'd be coy too on how long this would take because I feel like they're going to cut up one piece of this and they're going to be like, that was supposed to take us two months and that took us eight 
months, right? Like, I, I feel like they're saying they don't know because they actually don't know how long this is going to take. But the rough estimates is like two years. They, they've sort of thrown out some basic figures, but then, you know, so. I'm sure traffic around the surrounding area will just be wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the other thing is that it's yeah. going to be like the Canby line, right? Like it's, right. it's going to disrupt a lot of flow in the downtown for a long time. And it's going to hurt like. It's going to hurt because there's really big tenants around there. You've got Costco, you've got Rogers Arena, and BC Place. And if they've got construction going on, well, there's a Canucks game going on or a Whitecaps game going on. Or think about parking. Or even just a Saturday when there's that massive Costco rush. And yeah, parking too, right? So it'd be interesting to see how the city handles this. Whether or not they just say, okay, we're doing this, get used to it. You know, you're on your own. Or they try to accommodate. Kinda. We also have an election coming up in the fall. Yeah, uh, like a municipal election. I, I do wonder how that's going to influence the future of the viaducts as well. Yeah, and I, I think it remains to be seen how smoothly this goes because it, it looks like it's got the green light and it's good to go. Um, but you never know with these things and you never know what, you know, like you said, we're heading into an election year. So I don't know. It It's going to make a lot of people very angry when they start to take these things down like reading about how you take um these massive structures down and talking to patrick condon he's a professor at ubc in urban design he was just like these things are just massive structures that you can't just sort of blow up you it's have not to, like lego where you just yeah take it apart. This, this it doesn't like if you i think if you were to look at them and say oh well you just cut them up put them on the backs of trucks and get rid of them you can't really do that you have to sort of section them off and truck them out and you basically have to close down a street with cranes underneath them to sort of go up cut them out so yeah, get ready for uh, having a horrible time getting into downtown. Well, no matter what happens, they'll live in cinematic history for being featured in Deadpool a few years back. I yes. was just thinking that too. Ah, okay. Yeah, we're on the same page. I know. Are they in the second one? Did they, did they shoot? I don't think they're in the, in the second film. No. Um, so they are basically like a character in Pretty Deadpool. Odd. I'd say yeah. that's yeah. like half the movie. So, yeah. so, yeah. so Haley, I I've betrayed myself as a cyclist. I think. Patrick's done so on the program before. How often do you use these viaducts for your own uh, car-dependent <laughs> transportation across Vancouver? I uh, well, sometimes I sky train to get in down, into downtown, but anytime I do get into downtown, I use the Georgia viaduct. Okay, I do because yeah. I find it faster than the bridges a lot of times, especially Burrard, for example. If I'm out that way, that's had construction on it. It's been a nightmare. So it is the viaduct, and I live in the Commercial Drive area, so that has been easier for me. So. I don't know. Like as a driver, I'm thinking, okay, even using the viaduct to get into downtown when it's busy for an event, it's brutal. The bridges are also brutal. So having that option taken away and no alternative, at least while they're dismantling it, like I, I can't imagine. The we'll we'll turn you into one of those granola eating <laughs> cyclists that me and Patrick are any one of these days. Uh, maybe. We'll okay. see. <laughs> I think a good a good closing statement with this is that the lifespan of structures like this is 40 to 60 years. So that's a good point too. They had to come down or they had to be rebuilt. So they're taking them down. So right. this is just, this is just happening. Get Circle used of to life. It. Circle of life. Yeah. Got to deal with Lion it. King. <laughs> Thank you, Simba. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we'll get Patrick to stick around with us. We're going to take a short break, but first this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott accountants and business advisors. 
Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax, and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, if you want an accounting firm that will be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600 at 604-714-3600 or else check them out on their website at manningelliott.ca. Haley, I want to know what's been catching your eye in business news. Well, the OECD, it's just raised Canada's growth outlook for this year and it comes right after uh, Trump has exempted Canada as well as Mexico from his steel and aluminum tariffs. So this year for growth, we're looking at 2.2% instead of 2.1%. We'll also see 2% growth, so a little bit less growth next year, but it is revised upward from 1.9%. So we have at least temporarily one of the major trade issues between Canada and the U.S. settled, and that's going to be good for growth. But of course, the NAFTA question remains. And I know with those steel and aluminum tariffs, originally Trump had said that he'll exempt Canada if he gets a good NAFTA deal. We don't have a good NAFTA deal in place yet, but I wonder how maybe those exemptions will factor into those negotiations and what that's going to mean for growth. Because that's still a big unknown. It's been more than six months at this point of negotiating. And Patrick, just the specter of uncertainty hanging over negotiations when it comes to NAFTA. I I mean, what's your takeaway here? Should we be a little bit more concerned about the, the future of Canada's economy? Or do you think there's a certain kind of resilience that we possess? Oh, man, that's a good question. As a macro guy, I want to say, I think the bigger story is obviously the TPP that sort of has finally got pushed through and, and signed through. And NAFTA, I always have this weird caveat or this asterisk that I want to put on NAFTA because I feel like if Donald Trump gets voted out, whoever comes in, even if it's a Republican, they're not going to take this hardline stance. I that think he it's took. especially if, if it's a Republican, like the Republican Party is in favor yeah. of NAFTA. Yeah. And they, and they want to rewrite it. They want to update it. They don't want to tear it up and sort of, there's basically just one guy in a really high position of power who doesn't like NAFTA and that's Donald Trump. And we're not even, I'm not even totally sure why he doesn't like it. Like it's, it's great for all three countries. It creates this nice sort of trade network between Canada and Mexico. We get to push a lot of, you know, we get a lot of sort of tariff exemptions that uh, other countries don't get. So it's like, it's, it's just kind of shooting everybody in the foot with this sort of get rid of NAFTA thing it doesn't yeah. seems to boggle my mind and I'm just sort of in the mindset that's like I would much rather just wait for Donald Trump to get out of office and something else to come along but right? uh, finance minister Bill Morneau he said over the weekend that Canada or maybe it was even yesterday that Canada has every intention of trying to wrap this up and resolve this very swiftly like they want to put this in the bag as quick as they can yeah I just wonder if Canada is going to walk away better off or worse off than when uh, where we were a year ago. Well, you look at how long it took them to do the TPP. We're looking at close to a decade, yeah. two, three separate iterations, countries pulling in and out. We were actually the foot dragger at the very end. To say that NAFTA is going to get wrapped up by um when's the next when's the next american election 2022 18 19, the, uh, pres- presidential election yeah 2020, 2020. We, we also do have midterms coming midterms up, that's and- the other thing like if the republicans lose either the house or the senate um that further complicates things for donald trump they could just drag their heels for two years which is what happened to obama in his last term 
I I don't think I don't think NAFTA is going anywhere. I think we're fine. We have a Canadian election coming up next year. And that's the other too. thing. Yeah, true. And it would be in Canada's favor to have this sorted out. I have to think and have it be not a that bad of a deal for Canada too, true. considering our election. So. There you go, Tyler. What are you watching? Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll take it down, uh, not so macro as uh, initially here. Look at the local tech scene. One of the things that's very interesting is uh, Earthcast. This is the satellite imaging company. They're known for developing this high def camera that would go onto the International Space Station, give views of the world like we've never seen before. Uh, they are now on the hunt for what would be their fourth. CEO since 2015. These are one of the tech darlings of the company. Uh, raised a lot of capital here, but it was uh, co-founded by uh, Scott and Wade Larson brothers. Scott Larson was the initial CEO. Uh, he made way for brother Wade to take over. Wade has just resigned under, well, there are a lot of financial strains going on with the company right now. Um, just trying to get financing for a big deal because a revenue was not coming through for them on a particular deal they expected to sign. So now they have an interim CEO, uh, one of the board members uh, from uh, Earthcast, and they're on the hunt for a permanent CEO. So just a lot of uncertainty. And the reason why I think this is part of, I don't want to say it's connected to, say, MDA, but we do know that the maker of the Canada arm, they have a new general manager who is not going to be based out of Vancouver. Now, the company is now owned by Maxar Technologies, which is not based in Canada. It's uh, actually incorporated down in San Francisco at this point. And so this longtime Vancouver-based you know, aeronautics firm is really losing its identity uh, as a local company because the general manager is now going to be based in Ontario as well. So we're seeing a lot of upheaval when it comes to the aerospace industry here in Vancouver, when it comes to a lot of the top-level executives that would normally be overseeing these operations right here in Vancouver. I think maybe to give a little bit of perspective, I read a study last year. They surveyed uh, CEOs in North America, but it was predominantly an American study. The average lifespan of a CEO is two years. So this is normal. I mean, this happens. Oh, yeah. And to see somebody stick around more than two years would be... Not normal. So I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit of perspective on that. Is that. It's that seems short to me too, though, especially if you're trying to, you know, assuage investors, if you're yeah. trying to promote yeah. stability, growth, you know, even CEO to CEO, they might have some similarities, but they could have totally different ideas about where to take the company and in what direction. Well, the reason that Scott Larson departed is because that was mostly kind of an effort to get a company off the ground. He was very much kind of a finance guy. Let's get some funding secured and I'll get his brother to take over for the sustainable growth side of things. And that's where they've had some problems is with that side of financing. So Wade Larson is departing the company, not under the best of terms, just where the company stands from a financial perspective. I think if everything is hunky-dory, this co-founder would still be sticking around with the company that he helped launch as well. Yeah. So that's one of the issues. Well, Haley, Patrick, uh, well, of course, Haley, I was going to thank you for being on your show. Um, <laughs> oh, always just, a pleasure, Tyler. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just amazed that we got a Lion King reference on the podcast. That was just quite odd. That's I tr No, I, I get one in every <laughs> single podcast, but they're so under the radar. You never oh, We don't even them notice them. Yeah. You're just wow, so Clearly not a it. fan, Patrick. Hakuna yeah. Matata. <laughs> I, what what's that? That's the Lion King. I know. I'm just joking. <laughs> That's the most obvious reference you could make. But Patrick, I want to thank you 
for joining the Business of Vancouver podcast. Thank you so much. And Haley, if we want to find your stories, where can we go? Head on over to BIV.com. You can also connect with me on Twitter at Haley Wooden. And I tweet out our, our stories from time to time there. What about you? Yeah, you could find me on Twitter. I'm at Reporton. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. And until next time, this is a Business in Vancouver podcast. But uh, first of all, I should also reiterate that this podcast was brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. 